Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Lucas and Vincent were not in the mainstream of gay life. I was saving body parts, such as uh, skulls. Doesn't it bother you that he's a fag? You have done me a great service. Now I must service you. The drugs were, were always a cry for attention, for somebody to pay attention to me before I, you know, kill somebody. <laughs> You can imagine what it smells like if you go into a closed room. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. Buckle up, Sodomites, and welcome to a new Sinister Sissies interview special. I'm Sam, your slave of the microphone. I don't know, my master isn't here today. So I'm flying solo today, but Jared and I are trialing a new summer interview series, or winter for most of the world, but summer for us Australians. So please let us know what you think, and let's cut to it. So some of you might remember, earlier in the season, we did a podcast episode with Finley, who's here with me today. Hello, everyone. Yes, Finley was a favorite guest this season. Really? Um, my favorite anyway. How about that? Well, that's sweet, Sam. I can be. Thank you. I have my moments. So we were exploring this cult of the family who are based in South Australia, and we actually had somebody who's had a personal encounter with the family come forward and reach out to me, which was quite shocking, and I was quite astounded by the things they told me. So we won't be re revealing this person's identity today, but they've very kindly agreed to do an interview with us, and we're going to yeah, take you through some of the hot takes of a first-hand encounter with the family cult. I just have to say it's pretty abstract for people from Melbourne because I don't think a lot of us know about this story or this case you know from the original podcast reading about it for the first time surprised me so um it would be good to get someone from south australia's perspective on it all firstly had you ever heard of the cult or is it something that's widely talked about in south australia before, prior to your personal dealings with them um yes and no so you sort of mentioned the family murders and people like oh yeah but then because there's so many sort of cult murders in adelaide that happened throughout the years people sometimes get it confused um so you would usually say oh you know the family murders and people might think oh it's this or it's this but when you mention a certain individual's name then they're like oh yeah yeah so like if you mention like bevan spencer von einem or, or something yes that's the one i mean it's unknown if he was the leader of the group or anything but he's the one that's obviously publicly 
been, you he's know, he's the most notorious. Yeah, he's a notorious one. He's the one he who's been the meter, I guess, because he decided to pick on the the wrong victim. Yeah, and he's the one that's been convicted. Adelaide and South Australia just are not short of bizarre happenings. That's my first thought when you said that. I, yeah, I, is there some preponderance in Adelaide for this or? The family was shocking. I don't know if we have an equivalent in Melbourne or else it's very well covered up. We have more gangsters here, I reckon. Like I was just about to say that Melbourne and Sydney sort of have more gangland murders than anything, um, whereas Adelaide never really had any specific, like, underworld gangs or anything. A lot of bikey gangs, and that's about it. Um, but, yeah, the what they do have is just usually very creepy. Yeah. These twisted suburban murders and stories. So if you don't mind me asking, like, what was, what was like, the origins of your involvement with the family? And by your involvement with the family, I mean their involvement in making your life difficult. Yeah. Um, well, for those that do know the story, it's, it's quite surprising when they find out that I did have a connection to it because of my age demographic. Um, <clears throat> obviously, now I'm in my 30s you know, born in the 80s, which is just after a lot of these were actually happening. So people sometimes think, how were you involved? The weirdest thing about it is it's a much larger group than what it was advertised. Um, And my involvement was basically, you know, just after I turned 18, I um, had a very sort of sheltered and protected childhood. So, you know, I was one of the last people in my class to get their own mobile phone which then opened up sort of a world of communication for me. This is, again, before, you know, MySpace and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, And then, again, being a young gay kid, I didn't have any exposure to the gay community. The only thing I really had was, you know, sneaking out of bed and watching Queer as Folk after my parents went to sleep, that kind of thing. That sounds very familiar. (laughs) Can can I just ask, when when did you come out to your parents or when did did they know that you were interested in men sexually? I like to say I confirmed everything when I was 16. Um, right. Everyone had their suspicions and everything beforehand. So, yeah. Um, but the good thing is, like, my family's very um, supportive and everything, which is good, which has also helped me in this case too. Um, so, yeah, it was, like, shortly after I got my mobile phone and I was not very sensitive, uh, sensible about where I was going and using it. So there was, like, lots of little online chat room things to get into. and started chatting to this random person who was, you know, the conversation got a little sexual. Um, I was just like, oh, wow, this is how it is. This is a normal kind of thing. Um, And then it kind of got into, you know, they were asking me, or, you know, where are you? And I was, even though I was quite naive, I was still quite savvy. So I didn't give out any specific locations. I was like, oh, I'm I'm in this area. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so am I. Like, where and i'm like oh you know just near this road and they're like oh i live at the end of that road we're talking about pre-grinder days here aren't we i was thinking to myself i can remember first going out when i was about 16 with a fake id not that my mum would know but finley and it was like before grinder and yeah it was different i mean you wouldn't really know now the location two kilometers or whatever from you but yeah so this was in like 2007 2008 obviously von einem was convicted like nearly 25 years before that so everyone thinks that the family ended in the mid-80s, but clearly it didn't. It's still extending at least into the noughties, which is what really fascinated me about this. None of this was sort of pieced together until well after I'd sort of reported it and everything. So, yeah, I was just getting, you know, text me- like messages here and there through this messaging service. We ended up swapping numbers and their conversation that we're talking about, it they used to mention a lot of things that him and his brother would do. 
Um, and I was kind of like, oh, that's odd. That's interesting. Uh, the conversation got a little more graphic and then very sort of to a sexual point where I thought this is wrong. Are you inferring that he was saying he was doing sexual things with his brother? Yeah. So yeah. he was basically saying he was having a sexual relationship with his little Can brother. I just ask, were you feeling at this time exploited yourself or was this what you were worried about their behavior or his behavior? A, a bit of both really. I was kind of like, oh God, what's okay. Why is he telling me this? And then I was kind of like, is his brother in danger? Like what's going on there? So I also didn't want to really tell anyone about it because I also felt a bit of shame behind the whole thing. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I was getting messages from him all the time and then getting phone calls. And it was like, I get phone calls and they were saying, this is what I'm going to do. And I thought, no, this is really bad. So I remember I was at work one day and I sort of cracked under pressure and my boss took me aside like, what's going on? I said, look, I'm getting all these messages. It's messing with my head. They then and there said, you know, take the day and go to the police. So I was really hesitant about it, went to the police station and reported it. And they originally just assumed it was a case of nuisance messages and someone just being, you know, a bit filthy. So it wasn't taken seriously at first. It kind of stopped for a bit, which was weird. Um, Then I started actually getting phone calls on the landline phone at home, which I didn't even remember giving out that number. Um, And of course, I was still living with my parents. Wait, this happened after you went to the police the first time? Yeah. Right. So went to the police and reported it. They just sort of brushed it aside. Then after I went to the police is when I started getting more phone calls, like at my landline, like parents' uh, home phone. Yeah, and it just kind of spiralled out from there. So then, of course, me not really wanting to tell a lot of people about it, I tried to keep it from my parents as well. And then it got to the point where my parents would answer some phone calls and there would be, you know, the voice of like a 40-year-old man asking for me and my parents being like, well, no, who's this? And they would sort of hang up. So you've heard this person's voice now. So they're no longer just a text message. This is when it started get, getting really suspicious because they, of course, were showing me a specific photo, telling me specific details about themselves. And when I heard their voice, it didn't match up to what I'd seen. So it was a much older voice. Okay. Um, the red one flags th- are going. Yeah, exactly. And I was already sort of interested in a lot of true crime at this stage as well. So I'm like, hmm, hold on, I've seen this happen before. One of the things that really got me is when they were describing what their brother looks like, their references were super dated and not a lot of people in my sort of age bracket would understand this, but he kept saying his brother looked like Corey Haim. If anyone listening who's not down with 80s teen idols, he was a famous sort of 80s teen heartthrob. I understand what you're saying though, like a bit of an anachronism, like he's, oh, this is what I find hot, but it's from his like own youth. So I was kind of like, okay, this is really, really weird. Once my parents then sort of found out more about it, they, every time the phone would ring, were like, oh God, is it that again? The conversations got super graphic and super creepy to the point where my mum was quite fearful. It was things like, you know, they would call up and just say, you know, is so-and-so there? They'd be like, no, and they're like, well, this is what I'm going to do to him. And it's like sexually graphic, violent stuff. So what was the peak incident? as you would describe of your experience, like what was kind of like your breaking point? Like, this is too much. I need to get help right now. At one point, because, you know, I picked up one phone and then waved at my parents and they picked up the other phone to listen in. Um, And you don't have to air this section, but um, what they basically said was, I'm going to rape and kill your son. Well, that's, yeah. Oh my God. 
I can see how that, um, yeah, broke everyone and was like, okay, we gotta, we got to sort this out now. Exactly. Like, if it was just me hearing it, I could have handled it. But then having my mother have to hear it was really upsetting. Have, has, he, has this person implied at any point something about the family, as in there are other, apart from the brother you just mentioned, is he suggesting other people are out there as well or not at this point? No, he'd only ever mentioned him and his brother and he, he just said that he, like it was him and his brother that lived together, but there was never any mention of parents or anything and that's when I started to think, okay, the brother isn't real, it's just a fantasy of his. What also was really, really creepy is that any time he would drop a location it was always at a church another thing I had to tell the police so there was a church down the end of my street which is where he said he lived and it was always like the pin drop was in the backyard of like the church per se then when he's like oh I'm here today and it was always at a church which I thought was really creepy was it always the same church different churches yeah so it wasn't even a and that's what made me at one point think oh it's a member of the clergy having fun. But no, there were like different denominations. So I couldn't even rule that out. So went to the police again and said, no, you need to take this much more seriously, reported it a second time. Um, they wanted to take my phone and monitor it, which I was a bit hesitant about because, you know, being a young kid, I was like, no, don't take my phone. So I agreed that I would document every time I received a message or a phone call and try and like record the phone call and write down what the messages said and then give it back to the police and report. So I did that and even shared like the locations of where they were dropping pin locations and the police said like they'll look into it and everything. Didn't hear anything from the police for months, probably about five or six months. We're still getting the phone calls. They started to diminish a little bit. There was only, it just went back to text messages or phone calls on my mobile. So they'd stopped calling the landline, which is good because I sort of convinced my parents that it was done and that they would never have to hear from it so they would stop questioning me about it then it was yeah about five or six months later after the calls and texts sort of diminished a bit so they kind of faded out and a member of the police called me and actually said we've arrested someone who um we tracked the phone number that you gave us and um create they said they created some kind of like secondary line so they could almost see what was happening when they were sending messages or something I don't completely understand it but they went to the location where the phone was and made an arrest which I didn't think police would really call you when you make a report and say we've arrested someone usually they just kind of do it so I thought okay and then I panicked because I was like okay you've arrested someone you'll let them go they'll know it was me and they'll get angry had you shared your location at any point Never at any point. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was thankfully, even though I was naive, very smart not to, you know, go out and meet random people when they said, oh, I'm here, come and meet me, even if it was like a populated area. And yeah, so then the police officer, she was saying to me, like, we arrested them not just because, and I always remember what she said, because I'm like, why would you say such a thing? We arrested them not just because of what they were doing to you, but we arrested them because of crimes that they did relating to the messages that they were sending So I, I can tell you've had the sense now that this person was victim hunting and probably was successful. I was a bit kind of shocked by it. And I, I, that's when I panicked and said, well, no, like, what if you let them go? What's going to happen? And the police officer said, oh, no, don't worry. We will not be releasing them, but we need you to come into the station. 
I was like, oh, okay. So I went back into the police station um, like a couple of days later, spoke to the police officer that called me. And that's when instead of just being like the normal sort of like interview room or whatever, I was taken into somewhere which is a little bit more secure. And that's when they basically straight up said, have you heard of this person, which was Bevan Spencer? I said, well, I heard the name in passing. And they said, okay, are you familiar with this case? And I said, oh, I've heard of it in passing. And they were never direct with their questions. It was kind of want, like almost prompting me to say something. Yeah. Um, and they were like, you know, do you know this person? Have you heard of this person? Do you recognize this photo? I said, well, look, no, I don't. And they were saying, if I read out this message to you, would that mean something to you? I said, look, I, d- I don't know. Um, and then they sort of came about and they just said, look, we believe this case is related to this case. Now, this is back in 2008, which is when they also released a, um, like a new public issue to try and find people coming forward with more information about the case. Yeah. And also, Einem is in prison at this point. He's been in for a while. So... It's interesting that they bring up, you know, they're, they're really anchoring you back to that case as if there is a direct link. Yeah, I think it's the way that they tried, to, the, obviously because he's really the only name that's attached to it that people know. So when you, again, as I mentioned before, like you say, have you heard of the family murders? People are like, oh, I think so. But when you say the name, they're like, oh, yes, I know that case well. How is this related? This happened so long ago. Um, that's when I was basically told. And, you know, after I went home, I kind of looked it up a bit as well. The family per se, um, a lot of people when they hear it, they think something along the lines of like the hills have eyes, like it's this little country hick family, like who are all blood related. And it's not, it's a connection of really high profile people. It's lawyers, it's politicians, it's judges, it's police officers who are all involved in this ring. And it's been knowledge uh, for quite a while that there is this kind of like pedophile ring, as they've been calling it which is all related down to that case Um, and it kind of spawns off even if it's not directly related it spawns off it because of you know this person knew that person who knew that person who knew that person um and with Adelaide being such a small community as well it's hard to sort of have something like that without it being connected the key person who was harassing you the one who did end up being arrested have they come up in you don't have to say their name, but have they come up in like, you know how there are all those websites and conspiratorial sort of threads online about members of the family or alleged members? Has their name ever come up in any of those? Well, this is the thing as well. To this day, I don't know the name of the person who was messaging me or what they really look like. Okay, so just that they were arrested. Yeah, so I was being sent fake photos and obviously being given fake names. Yeah. Um, the only way that I would have known what this person looked like or what their name was is if I testified in court, um, which the police asked me if I wanted to do. And at the time I thought, oh, this is a bit of a big deal. Um, But then what's really interesting is that another police officer was convincing me not to do it. You know, it was almost a bit of kind of good cop, bad cop. So one was like, we'll protect you and everything. And yet the other police officer was like, it is a big risk. You know, people will see you. It does pose, you know, wrists um so I was almost scared out of not doing it and I said no I'll just give the evidence that I've given you and I won't testify in court again really weird because a lot of the times when you look at this case 
the biggest thing which keeps coming up and keeps repeating is there was no evidence and people couldn't provide evidence. And that's because so many people are actually being talked out of giving evidence. What you're saying, it almost sounds like witness intimidation. Pretty much, yeah. With the first call to your landline coming after you had been to the police, have you made sort of connections in your mind and has it made you wonder, like, is there some level of police involvement even in, like, the stalking? Definitely. Um, It didn't occur to me in that moment Um, but when I kind of looked back on it I was sort of piecing it all together I'm like okay I had to give my landline number when I made the report that's the only way that this number would have been involved and you know even when I was talking to the police and saying they got my landline number somehow like um like when I reported it the second time and they're like oh well you know they must have found it somewhere like and that's when they started saying maybe it's somebody that you already know like when I made the reports, it did go through a different couple of offices. So it could have easily been, you know, the information could have been passed across the table to someone who was slightly involved. And yeah, which is why this whole thing is just so elusive and why a lot of people think, okay, it is a, has a kind of air of myth about it because it's so well covered up and there's so many high profile people involved who go out of their way to make sure it's covered up. It kind of reminds me of, um, real world QAnon or Pizzagate it's this deep state operating that's how it feels that's how it's kind of how you read it yeah and I mean it got it's even to the point now where someone even suggested that Bevan was actually like a, a sheep to the slaughter or he's the martyr so to speak so they needed someone to take the fall and you know he was just an accountant that's always been my personal thought that they just needed a scapegoat and he kind of represented to the media and the population of South Australia, this is taken care of, it's finished. But Sam, what did they give him? He's never actually said anything. Yeah, because he's probably in fear for his life or he's probably been threatened to some degree. Or Or some reward. Stockholm Syndrome, yeah, all of the above, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we can all safely say that he's never getting out of prison. From what you're saying, it might not necessarily really be the root of the problem. Yeah, so I think while they have someone high profile in prison who is taking the fall it distracts from a lot of things that are still happening did you leave adelaide as a result of this or would you, or has it made you hesitant to ever return um no not really so i didn't leave adelaide until probably about like 7 years after this happened i think because i wasn't i didn't get as involved as i could have like if i i didn't end up going to trial which probably would have made things a lot worse and the fact that it was literally just a series of reports and then it kind of got pushed under the rug. And because it is so well covered, anything else that would have happened, you probably just wouldn't really have noticed. So yeah, it didn't really badly affect my life afterwards. It was a really horrible time, but it passed. And I suppose what you were saying is also fortunate that you didn't go to the church that time because that sounds absolutely terrifying. Yes, uh, that was an, yeah, that was another part of the evidence that they looked into as well. And they also linked, they were like, oh, you know, these church locations keep being brought up. And then they're like, maybe it's just a red herring to kind of throw us off. And yeah, whoever's involved, they're very smart about covering their tracks. This is, this has given me more to think about, but I know that you, even if you look, there are all these websites and everything, but you're not actually getting answers. 
it's all just really theories and ideas. It's all very gray, mm. like a monster in the shadows. Yeah. Well, even though you've personally experienced it, you still don't have the answers. So I think that says it all. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, even if I try to do as much research as I can on it now, I it's still just there's dead end after dead end after dead end because as I mentioned, that one thing that just keeps coming up is no evidence because people are just being scared out of giving evidence. People have suggested there could be hundreds of victims that are on record even with the police right now, but I have never seen them, you know, any details really get released that would confirm that. Yeah. Oh, even like in the last couple of years, I've seen news reports about, you know, pedophiles in South Australia doing things and having that knowledge, you just have to, you know, I just keep thinking, oh God, not again. Like, not someone else hopefully we can at least contribute to people not forgetting about this because yeah too much hush hush it's very suspicious hopefully one day it gets broken yeah a bit of interesting info you might like or find amusing is um i did get a little bit of redemption like personal redemption at one point so i used to work at adelaide jail which is where bevan was first incarcerated um and his old cell um is done up as it is like it's open and there's a little plaque saying this is where he was kept. Um, so when I worked there, I got to sort of, I got to stand in his jail cell and then quietly to myself just kind of said, fuck you, I get to leave this place. And I just walked out. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that you yeah, gave us this information tonight. I've never really gotten a chance to talk to someone who's been so directly involved in a crime we've covered. So yeah, thank you for reliving this, I guess. Yeah, we really appreciate it. I have a feeling this is not the last we're going to hear of the family. Thank you for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. Hope you didn't hate this new format, this episode. It's just something we're trialling. But also, before I forget, we're actually doing another episode next week as well. So please tune in. Jared will be back. But if you miss Jared, you can get in touch with him at twitter.com slash Jared Bartle. That's Jared with two R's, a Y and a D. You can follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash sinister underscore sissies. Please join me for my daily horror movie challenge, which I've been doing this October. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Sinister Sissies. And please, if you're vibing our content, support us on Patreon. And I don't know, I'll, I'll give you a virtual kiss. Maybe a real life kiss. Who knows? Until next time, stay sinister. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.